in this episode of Gareth Jones on Speed, I drive a car that's so cute, you just want to pick it up and hug it. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. I'm Gareth and I'm driving to Wales. Standard start to one of these Gareth Reviews a Car programs. What did I say they were called? Gareth Jones on the Road or something, I don't know. I've got an interesting, lovely, cute little car, which I picked specifically for the journey I'm making, which is what I try and do. I'm off to Wales to film an astronomy program. And I know that the location where we're recording has minimal parking and it's at the summit of a hill, some might say a small mountain, overlooking Knighton in Powys in Mid Wales. So I figured I should get a car which will fit in a small space because we're going to be there with a big production crew, there'll be a lot of vehicles, so I can't take up much space and it probably should be four-wheel drive because I have a strong suspicion we're going to be parking on grass and gravel not a proper hard paved surface so I picked the smallest cutest four-wheel drive car I think there is on sale at the moment because it's a car that I'm very fond of I'm fond of the way it looks it is the Suzuki Ignis which has recently been upgraded with some new drivetrain and some new detail and a slightly improved version of the one which came out, I'm guessing, what, three, four years ago now? 2017, maybe it first appeared, it's like this. And you will have seen it around. You cannot miss this cute little car. It looks like it's made out of Lego bricks. Yes, I know. I'm fairly close to that truck I'm overtaking. Thank you for telling me. I was quite aware. And it's got a chunky quality that Tonka would die for. And it's got that I'm a little car quality that Suzuki do so very well. But more on that in a moment. This car, it's got 1.2 litre, four-cylinder engine, petrol. It's a hybrid, so it's got a combined alternator motor generator thing. They call that, do you know what they call that these days? They call that an electric machine. Wait, what? It's not a term I'd ever heard before. Yeah, the car's equipped with an electric machine. I don't think Suzuki uses this term, but I was just reading into hybrid technology in cars recently, and the term electric machine was banded around. Because it's not a motor, well, it is a motor, but it's also an alternator. It's also a current generator. So it's an electric machine that does two jobs. I'd never heard that before. It sounds like a track from a Pink Floyd album, or indeed a Pink Floyd album, from what, 1971 or something, the electric machine. Oh yeah, that Pink Floyd album, yeah. They weren't talking about an electric device which does two things. Some people say it's got an electric engine. Now, do we say that if it's a pure electric car? We always say electric motor, don't we? But if it's a pure electric car, 
but it's only got one electric motor. Do we say it's got an electric engine? Did you have to say it in a Lancashire accent? You know, Ribble Valley, something like that. Like Fred Dibnar, because he was one of the greatest engineers there were. Fred Dibnar, oh, I've been up that uh, steeplejack there, oh, that, that tower, oh, a bit of rope and some spit, and get it chopped, you know. He liked his engineering. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's cute. Oh boy, it's cute. But how does it achieve this cuteness? Because I have a bit of a problem with some levels of cute. Bear with me on this, and you're probably not going to like me for this, but I struggle with Nintendo culture. I find those plumbers and that fairy and those characters that are in Mario Kart and all the Mario games. No, it's not for me. It's just, it's like a kid's thing. I've always had that. I like my kids' things to be a bit darker and real, you know, I like Avengers and stuff like that rather than Dennis the Menace maybe, although Dennis was quite cool. And cute doesn't usually work for me. There are little Toyotas that are pretty cute. They're cute, they're nice, yeah, they look like a toy. They look like they're designed by Tomy, don't they? But this looks like it's a toy designed by Tonka. And Tonka... I think I mentioned this on the program recently, we were talking about brands of manufacturers that don't make cars that would transfer over to the car market. I think Sarah said Chanel. Oh yeah, I drive a Chanel. Yeah, which model? Other five. <laughs> that would work well. And I suggested Tonka. You'd buy a Tonka, wouldn't you? And it would probably be a badge engineered version of the Suzuki Jimny, wouldn't it? That's cute. And that looks like a puppy to me because it's got massive wheels of a tiny body. If ever you've had a puppy of an Alsatian, we don't call them Alsatians anymore, do we? We call them German Shepherds. These are big dogs. And when they're puppies, they have big feet and they sort of grow into their feet, don't they? They've got massive feet, little big, huge feet. And eventually the rest of the animal catches up with those feet. And that's what the Suzuki Jimny looks like. Little body, big wheels. This takes a different tack. There aren't many cars that work well on small wheels with tall bodies. They look like they're going to fall over. But some cars do. And I remember the Suzuki Wagon R, or the Wagon R Plus as it was sold in the UK with a bigger engine than the Japanese domestic market model one. That had little wheels. I thought, yeah, that looks good on little wheels. Suzuki do that very well. And this car achieves its ruggedness three ways. First of all, it's got roof rails, which amazingly and immediately make it look like a lifestyle choice vehicle. You know what I mean? Have a lifestyle. Yeah, I'd probably put surfboards or canoes or something up there. Hovercraft, if you're lucky. Light plane drone and that makes it look a lot more sort of functional like it could take you off into the Gobi Desert or top of a mountain or something and the other two ways in which it achieves ruggedness is the colour which I think is called tough green 
pearl. Tough green pearl, I think that's what Suzuki call it. It's a sort of a metallic olive green, which was the colour I wanted to paint a Wagon R many years ago, some 20 years ago, maybe 15, when my kids were sort of four or five years old. We needed sort of a city car. You could get them in and out of seat bolsters in the back really easy and strap them in. You need a slightly taller car. Because if you're bending over into my Sora, which only had two doors at the front, getting the kids in the back was really tricky. And I considered buying a Wagon R. I really wanted a Wagon R. What I wanted to do was commission a Wagon R, not the second generation version that was also sold as the, was it the Vauxhall Opel Aguila? Not that one, which is quite rounded and smooth. But the first generation Wagon R Plus that came into the UK was more van-like. It looked rugged. It had sort of that folded metal rather than bent metal look and that made it look much more appealing to me and I wanted to get one and fit a cappuccino engine instead of the 1100 engine it came with or get a Japanese domestic market model one which had the I think the three-cylinder 660 engine see if I could squeeze in the cappuccino engine and respray the whole thing matte green put on some slightly bigger chunky Ross-style wheels or something, maybe with white or black technical sort of finish, and make it look like an army vehicle. That would have been... I'm absolutely serious about this. I must have mentioned it on the programme at some point. That was my plan at one point. I never did it in the end. You know, you have a better idea another week later. But that was a really appealing, functional, cute car that I really wanted. So when I saw that the Ignis was now available, not only in pretty much that colour, but as four-wheel drive and a hybrid, it absolutely got my attention. You notice cars, certain cars, you notice interesting cars, and the Ignis is one of those. We shouldn't like this car, should we? Because if we like cars, we like powerful cars, we like superb cars, innovative cars, and the Suzuki Ignis is an astounding car, but well below the perception of most of us, you know? Who buys this car? Someone, I think, who might have bought a Fiat Panda 4x4 at some point. So you might live somewhere rural with a bit of a gravel track to your house for the last bit. You think, oh, do we four-wheel drive for that in the winter? Or oh, it can be quite slippy. North Wales, you know, Cardinal, somewhere out on the Flynn uh, Peninsula, perhaps, or you know, somewhere up Keswick, that sort of way. Northwest England and Northwest Wales, you know. or Scotland, or indeed anywhere where you might have a bit of a slope and one four-wheel drive. And again, I bet it's a slightly older person who buys this. Although, look at it, it absolutely appeals to younger people too. It really looks lifestyle and functional. It's got a new sort of chrome five-bar grille which has changed its chunkiness added to it as well over the first generation model. So young people I'm sure would find this attractive but older people who don't like to bend down, don't like to step up into a car, just like to get in at the height that they're at and sit down at a reasonable height, would find this 
very comfortable. It's quite a tall car. It's 1.6 something meters tall. And I had it parked next to my neighbor's Audi Q8 the other day. No, not Q8, Q7 the other day. And it looked about the same height, but almost half the width. It's a really narrow little thing. And that combination of that height and that narrowness works to give you a functional interior. It is a fairly narrow car, not terribly narrow, but fairly narrow. But when you've got this incredible headroom, that gives it this airiness that you would lose if it was a low, narrow car. You know, it would start to feel more like a mini, more like a coupe sort of feeling. But it doesn't have that, it really is what we used to call an MPV. Do you remember the MPV? Should we sound the death bell for the MPV? Gong. No one buys MPVs anymore, do they? So sad. That was a great idea, pioneered in many ways by the Lancia Mega Gamma, which was, of course, Jarro's idea way back in the late 70s. Jarro, of course, came up with the original Panda. So that bloodline is evident in this car. It's an MPV. You don't get many of those. People go for 4x4s four that are quite high up with big drivetrains. Now, this is a 4x4, four four, and I was interested in working out how they achieve 4x4 four four in this. With it being a hybrid, you could do electric drive to the rear axle, couldn't you? And give it four-wheel drive that way, but no. It's a proper four-wheel drive with a viscous coupling between front and rear. So it's permanent and it adapts depending on the surface and the speed that you're doing. So it's a proper four-wheel drive car. I'd love to take it off-road. I don't know how much off-roading I'll get to do on my trip to Powys. But then I'm off up to Sheffield on Thursday for another thing that I'm doing. And maybe I'll go and find some wasteland up in Sheffield where they used to have steel mills, you know, Sheffield. I'm doing loads of accents today. Do you know why? I've been listening to Sean Keaveney on Radio 6 Music whilst I was driving along in the car, driving through London. And he never stops doing accents. He doesn't stop himself. Oh, telephone call. Better go. I'll take this call and uh, I'll tell you more in a minute. The third and final way that this car moves out of soppy cuteness and into rugged cuteness is with three indents in the C-pillar. I kid you not. Next time you see an Ignis, or look up a picture of an Ignis now if you can, look at the C-pillar. That wonderful kink, a straight high boot, bit of a bustle back, and that kink, and on that kink are three indents. The sort of thing that suggests, oh, um, Citroen Mahari, Mini Moke, Jeep, you see where I'm going with this? That folded metal quality. I wonder what 
difference it makes to the strength. It probably weakens it, those indents in that C-pillar, but my gosh, it makes a huge difference. And if this car didn't have those three dents in the C-pillar, I don't think it'd be half as appealing to a lot of people. It's amazing how a little bit of detail like that can make a difference to a car. It would look a lot more sort of domestic like the car your mum might drive. And I don't mean that as an insult, I just mean that as a different set of criteria, a different set of driving qualities, the one that you want to portray when you're driving. You know, not my car, someone else's car, that feeling. And those little dents lift it out of domesticity into functional piece of equipment land, if there is such a... Is there a land? Functional piece of equipment land. Let's all go there. Mainly inhabited by hammers and saws and the old Suzuki Ignis. Ignis. You ever wondered about the name? I did. I thought, why is it called Ignis? What does that mean? What's the etymology? Where does it come from? Did they mean Agnes? Agnes is a name that you don't hear these days, is it? Unless you're a Scot. This is my wife Agnes, my daughter Agnes, and my sister Agnes. It's a grand old name, isn't it? Agnes. The only Agnes I can think of is the one in Picard at the moment. She's an oddball in a nice way, like this car. So maybe I should call this car Agnes. Okay, full disclosure, as YouTubers say, I have been known to give my cars names in the past. My Sora was called Lex. She was. Lex, I'm taking Lex, I'd say to Violet. When I had a Suzuki Cappuccino, she was always referred to as Susie. Now I know Richard hates people who name cars, and I'm not sure on Zog's position on that, but I have been known to name vehicles over the years, and motorbikes. As you know, I had a Volkswagen Jetta called Joan, Joan Jetta. But my Suzuki Cappuccino was called Susie, and this I would call Agnes. But the car is called Ignis. It's from the Latin ignition, to start a fire. Or the Latin word for fire is Ignis, I think. Is that right? Does Ignacio, Ignacio, does that mean fire starter? Uh, he's my friend, Ignacio, he's a professional pyromaniac. It is nominative determinism. From his name, this is why he does what he does. It's a terrible Mexican accent, wasn't it? Sorry. Lighter fire. Don't know how fiery this car is. I'm driving it really gently and I'm really enjoying that. I really am. It's got a lot of roll. It's quite a tall car, it's quite a narrow car. My mate Xavi said, Gareth, carefully don't fall over. That's what he said, be careful it don't fall over, he said to me before I got it and drove off. It looks like a brick standing on its side. It's gonna fall over. It doesn't feel unstable. It's got a lot of roll. It's got a lovely soft suspension. Now, you know, the first corner in a car is always a big giveaway. You get in it, you drive off and you go, whoa, what's different to the last car I drove on this corner? You notice there's probably 23 turns lock to lock on the steering. <laughs> it's a very slow rate of steering, which is fine. You just need to adapt to it. And that makes you drive more slowly, I think. And it's got really soft suspension. So it rolled a bit at low speed and it's a bit bouncy in town, a little bit bouncy. It deals with the many 
traffic calming measures really well. I'm talking about both of them. I'm talking about the sleeping policemen that are everywhere, but a floaty suspension is nice for that, and it's narrow. And we have these narrow street things in Hackney now that you have to drive through. This thing pops through no problem. Wouldn't like to attempt it in a Range Rover, would you? So, you know, great city car for that reason. It's adapted for the city, because this is a city car that you can drive up a mountain. That's what it is. And the suspension. When I first got on it, whoa, hey, it's quite floaty. Okay, that's what it is. But then you get to motorway speeds from 40 to 70, it's lovely. It really is. Softly sprung, great ride. Again, combined with the spacious interior, that soft ride, this is a very easy place to spend a number of hours. Very comfortable. Yeah, this one I think has got the 2 plus 2 option on the seat. It's the top of the range. I'll tell you the exact model later. But you can order the car with three seats in the rear or two seats in the rear. And looking at this one, I've got the one of the seats folded down at the moment. I can't tell. Oh, that's interesting. I reached back to put one of the seat backs up, the rear seat backs up, and actually move the seat squab forward. There's a lever that allows you to do that. It's quite a flexible interior. And so I can't tell if it's got two or three seats in the rear. But what I can tell you is that this vehicle is big enough to fit in a mattress. And I know that from a fact, because I've just did it. As I got in the car and set off on the journey, I realized I had a few things in the hall that were waiting to be taken to our local recycling centre. I wonder if they'll fit in the car. They all went in. Two huge bags of clothes, an old computer monitor, some kitchen bits, old appliances, and a single mattress. Now, I have to admit, it wasn't an adult's single mattress. It was what they call a shorty. Our kids have grown out of that now. So it was just shy of six foot, but not six foot. But it fitted in the back by opening up the hatchback, folding down the seat backs, sliding the thing forward, and it pushed down into the footwell of the rear passengers. Then I folded it over, tucked it in the back, it closed easily, and I put in those two other big bags of stuff as well. No problem, and my bags as I'm away for the next few days. Proper voluminous little functional vehicle, this. And that might be a function of being tall, you know? You can stack things high like a van. And that was one of the things that appealed about the Wagon R to me. We took so much stuff with us when we went away when we had kids, you know. Push chairs and prams and temporary cots for the kids to sleep in while you're away and nappies and all sorts of stuff. We used to fill cars to the gunnels. So the Wagon R would have been good for that. And this is good for that too. Quite a short boot if you're in four or five-seater mode, but you can change that by sliding the rear seat forward, increasing it by probably 20 or 30%, I would say. And as it's a hybrid, it's got a lithium-ion battery, I think, is it? Lithium-ion? It's got a battery, and that's positioned underneath the rear seat. I looked in the boot, and there wasn't a spare wheel underneath the fibre cover for the boot very very lightweight by the way that fiber board very light and there was no spare wheel underneath but there was a compressed air pump and get you home 
skirt the tyre, full aerosol. So it's lost some height because of that, but regaining that's why it's a tall car. You know, a low car, you'd lose volume from doing that. But if you lose the volume because of your hybrid system, the knock-on effect of that and the space under the boot, then you gain it again by a tall car. So this is a nicely thought-through car. Any compromises have been worked around, you might say, giving you usable space. And you know what? I actually think the Ignis is cooler than the Wagon R was in its day. It really does look smart. It's very light. I noticed how light it was when I first opened the door. I nearly pulled the door off and threw it over my shoulder. Wow, that's light, you close it, light. But it doesn't feel tinny. It's not Citroen AX light. That was light, wasn't it? I'd have made one of those, you wouldn't drive if the wind was blowing over 30 miles per hour because it would blow them across two lanes. This is quite a tall car, very light. I'm not sure the all up weight. I'll look at the details a little bit later on and fill you in on them as I've had some more experience driving this car. I've driven it in town, I've driven it on motorways. I haven't really done many quick roundabouts or anything on it yet, but I'd like to because with this little four wheel drive system, if it's a bit wet, it might be satisfying to scut around, scut, I've invented a new word, to scut around a damp roundabout on this at a reasonable velocity. That'd be fun. Cool. And you know what? As I speak, the rain comes. Typical, isn't it? I'm off to Wales to make an astronomy programme with what above me appears to be 100% cloud cover at the moment. I have about 36 hours before we're recording, so hopefully it'll be clear by then. But whatever weather is thrown at me, I genuinely believe this robust little fighter can cope with, really do. Like you, if you really appreciate and understand cars, it doesn't have to be a twin turbo V12 to impress you. A well thought out little four that does its job better than it should that'll appeal to yeah and this car appeals to me welcome to a new feature in gareth jones on speed called i was right and i was right about two things you know i said i thought this might be quite grippy because of its four-wheel drive system yes I've had some slithery roundabouts and it has been very sure-footed on it and has gone round them with great poise, great control. That was amazing. Well, you know, not kind of Audi TTRS amazing, but amazing for this type of car. Grip that is greater than the power. Sometimes you get a car which the grip is nowhere near the power of the car and that makes for a very lively driving experience and you get cars which have far more grip than the power they deliver and that makes a car really dull and then you get a car like this where it has tremendous grip and yet makes it feel like it's working it's actually doing something i like that so i was right about that and i was right about something else let me tell you, I'm driving along the A470 
that famous road that connects South Wales to North Wales. And I should say notorious road rather than famous. And it's a single lane A road, cars go in both directions, double white lines, and it goes at a reasonable pace. And I noticed on my left a little cutting, a kind of a ramp up to an elevated flat section with some caravans on it, just a couple of caravans and a little buffin is the Welsh word, uh, cottage is the English word, oh cottage, stone cottage. But the sheer angle of that ramp caught my attention because there was a car parked at the top of that ramp where it flattened out, a white Series 1 Suzuki Ignis. <laughs> And do you remember what I said, that I bet people who live up a slightly gravel path would have a car like this. Well, I've just seen someone who has this car. Makes perfect sense. It's got a little bit of extra ground clearance. We're not talking Tesla Cybertruck levels of ground clearance, no. More like Ford Fusion, a little bit more than that. You know I like the Ford Fusion, I've got into trouble saying how much I like the old Ford Fusion in the past. I think it suits a tremendous purpose. Rather like the Fiat Panda, rather like this car. But this car's a lot more sophisticated than the Ford Fusion. And it's much cooler, you know? Fusion's okay, but it's nowhere near as cool as this. And I'd argue that this car is cooler than the Echo Sport. Yeah, I thought it was called the Eco Sport, but they call it the Echo Sport. A lot cooler than that, and arguably cooler than the new Puma as well. I think this car is way cooler. So it's pretty cool. Right, where are we? Um, oh, turning right towards Llandrindod Wells now. Tricky junction this. Narrow bridge over the, is that the river? Why? Magnificent. Llan Elwedd we are in Radnorshire. We are, because you're here with me. Yeah, this car is proving to be the right sort of thing for narrow lanes here as I carve up the marches towards my destination in Sandrin Dodwells tonight. Very much looking forward to it. Right, just wanted to share that. I was right. I should say that with a Welsh accent, shouldn't I? I was right. Oh, one other thing, while I remember. I remembered a Toyota, a little Toyota, that did the same sort of industrial cute, almost agricultural cute, almost military cute that this car does. It came to me out of the blue. Do you remember the Toyota Will? It was a strange little thing, probably based on the Toyota Yaris perhaps and it had that sort of ribbed metalwork side to it which made it look like a Kubelwagen or something. It starred in a video game and I'm trying to remember which video game that was. It wasn't Project Gotham, it was one of the others. It was a special sort of JDM edition that he get with uh, the Sora was in, uh, my Sora, which made me very happy. And the Toyota Will, look up the Toyota Will, a strange, more than a concept car, one of those limited edition Japanese oddballs 
that they do for the Japanese domestic market from time to time. Nissan were the most famous, of course, perhaps for doing that, because do you remember the S-Cargo that was based on the Micra? Or the Nissan March, it was called in Japan, wasn't it? Not the Micra. And what was the other one? The Nissan Pow, that looked a bit like a Jeep or a Kubelwagen. That had ribbed side work. And there was a third one as well. I can't recall what the third one was. Was it a sports car of some kind? Oh, no, it wasn't. It was the Figaro, of course, the Nissan Figaro. Those sort of style exercise cars, which take a useful platform and put something very interesting on it. Those cars were cute, but not too cute. They had a, a different quality to them. Again, this car has that, and that's one of the things I really like about it. Cars, character, are something that you can really get behind. People buy cars on the way they look, they really do. It sends out a message, either to you personally, oh, I feel safe in that, or, oh, that's practical, or, oh, that's fast. But they also send out a message, the message that you want to send out to other people about the choices you make. Oh, yes, I'm practical, or I'm safe, I'm not a show-off. Oh, I am a show-off. Oh, I like cars who can drive, I like driving. Oh, I want a bit of prestige. These are all the messages that we send out when we subliminally make choices, or consciously make choices about the cars that we will drive. And I like the message that Suzuki send out. You know, I think I've said this before, Suzuki are very good with little cars. Fiat are perhaps the only other people who are very, very good with little cars historically. Well, maybe Citroen too. But what Suzuki do, do you remember the cappuccino, my cappuccino I was telling you about before? That looked like a sort of three-quarter scale Lotus Elan or something. A scale model of a car. Beautiful. And this, again, is a scale model of a much larger, robust off-road machine and captures all the functionality, the apparent functionality of a big vehicle like that and offers it in a very small practical city car. But it's much more than a city car. It's been great fun on the A roads, plenty of grip, enough power, you've got to keep the engine working, you've really got to change between third and fifth a great deal. And that's fine, that's fine, that's driving a car, isn't it? That's what we do, that's what we like to do. Now, gearbox isn't the greatest gearbox in the world, I've adapted to it now, but it has one minor flaw, and that is that reverse is opposite fifth. So occasionally you might want to go sort of third to fifth and you go to where fifth might be, and oh my god, no, that's reverse. And I think reverse should always be next to first. That's the safest place for it. Otherwise, even one bad bit of gear stick work can damage a gearbox, and a tiny bit of damage can have a long-term effect. So if you're ever buying a second-hand car where fifth and reverse are next to each other, find out what car that driver had before this car, and do your research and establish whether that car had fifth next to reverse which means that the car that you're buying from him, his latest car, he will never have made that gearbox mistake. So you'll buy a car with a pristine gearbox. There, but a detective work for you. But yeah, right, gotta go. Three miles from my destination now. 
I'm riding along a wide open valley with uh, Cambrian Mountains to my left in a olive green car. Yeah, maybe not olive green, ivy green perhaps is the better description of this colour, which matches the autumnal colours of the trees that line the road I'm driving at the moment. There you go, I come to Wales and start sounding like a Welsh weatherman or a poet. I've been listening to Radio Cymru for a while, so I've been thinking in Welsh, and it's probably made me sound even more Welsh than I normally do. Right, two miles from destination, going to focus on where I'm going. Yeah, enjoying this drive, hope you are too. More to come here on Gareth Jones on Speed. Hello again. It's Friday now. The last time we spoke, I think was probably Wednesday night before the shoot. And this car did exactly as I asked of it. I parked it on a bit of very slithrig grass. Great word, that is. It's the Welsh word for slippery. Slithrig. Parked it on some very slithrig wet grass. And it just popped out. No problem whatsoever. It's got 180 millimetres ground clearance, by the way. I looked up some of the figures. And that was just enough. A little bit of versatility, a bit of utility. That's what it is. It's like a utility belt, this car. It's pretty good. It really is. And this model, by the way, I was trying to remember what the name of this particular model was. And it's the SZ5, or SZ5, if you want to say Z instead of Z. But no, it's the SZ5, which couples the manual transmission with the hybrid energy recovery system and adds four-wheel drive as an option. And that's the car to have. I did mention that having a bit of grip on the road was going to be a good thing when it was dry and would be very good when it's wet. And you know what? I drove back from the location on top of a mountain in Powys and it was sopping. It had rained all day and all night and the road was covered with leaves. And it was a fairly quick, quiet road in Powys. There wasn't very much traffic at sort of 10 o'clock it was, I think, on a Wednesday night. And so I was, you know, making reasonable progress. And this car was brilliantly neutral. That's the surprise about this car. It doesn't feel like a front-wheel drive car because of the way that the four-wheel drive system works. It's absolutely predictable and neutral in and out of corners. Really great. Really great. It's got 16-inch wheels. They're pretty narrow. But it's perfect. It was great. I really admire this car. I haven't really told you about the interior at all. I was going to. I forgot all about it. You know, the practical thing of being able to slide the seat backwards and forwards. Um, the rear seat is split 50-50 on this one. It is a fairly narrow car. But it actually appears narrower than it actually is. If you look at it, it's narrower at the top than it is at the bottom. You know, there's quite a bit of flare in the sills which allow the wheels to be at extremis. It never felt like it was teetering whatsoever, really planted. Very, very impressed with this car. I had great expectations for this car. Because when you see a car that you think, oh, that looks right, that, what are they doing with that car? And you look at it, oh, that's a good idea. Oh, God, I hope, I hope that works. That sounds about right. It's good. You have great expectations. And I really wanted this car to be great because I like the way it looked so much. It's how a lot of us are hooked on a car. Ooh, gets your attention. Now let's consider it. 
And you know what? My great expectations have been met. I can't think of anything in this car that has disappointed me. Nothing whatsoever. The dash is nice. The plastics are fairly durable, but it's a utility car. It's got a lovely body colour inset with a sort of tiny shelf big enough for maybe a mobile phone or three or four pens, you know, and it's nicely sculpted. It's got its own original style going on and a podule, you know, your infotainment system, your sat nav, all that is on a chrome surrounded semi-floating nodule sitting proud of the dash. And I like what they've done. They've given the corners to the rectangle that this screen is sat in the same angle and chamfered edge that this car has on its famous C-pillar bringing that design into the car little details like that great podule do you remember the word podule where it came from the first time I encountered the word podule was in a Rowan Atkinson sketch where he's an alien who breaks through on all channels to transmit to earth and says something like, life is very different in our universe. We have no birth, we have no death, and we have a different gear stick on the Mini Metro. I'm speaking to you now from my podule. So yes, the word podule came to mind. I can't remember a car which has made me think of the word podule. So I'm grateful to this car for that. I'm sitting, by the way, in a service station, probably Watford Gap or one of those, on the way back home from having driven this through the mountains of Wales and then up the English-Welsh border and north up to Sheffield to do an interview and then to Huddersfield last night and then back down the motorway. And I couldn't have asked for a more willing, friendly, smiley, lovely car than this. And I noticed, I published a picture of the car on my Twitter stream and it generated loads of responses from people who wanted to discuss their Suzuki's, where people said, oh, it looks great, oh, it's a bandito car, you know, that it looks like it's wearing a mask, like a bandito, eh? a gaucho or something, you know, watch out for the banditos. And it was amazing that people had noticed this car. Often I can publish a picture of a car and not get as instant a response as I did this time, but this car, clearly, people have noticed it, they you know, paying attention to it, and deservedly so. You won't be disappointed. It's a fab car. 17 grand, 17 and a half grand, I think, for this particular model. The range starts at 13,000. And it looks good in lots of colours. I saw a signal red one, I saw a blue one, and it changes the character of the car completely, but this dark green is just great. It really is class. And I had quite forgotten until I got into a conversation with someone on Twitter about Suzuki how much I loved the first cool Suzuki car in Britain. It was called the SC100, the Suzuki Wizkid is what it was sold as in the UK. It was an amazing little rear-engine three-quarter scale model of a Porsche 911, that's how it seemed. And I wanted to buy one years ago and badge it with Porsche badges, or Lotus maybe, no, no, definitely Porsche, and that was a really cool car, I remember my dad liking those as well, and he liked big, big Cortina estates, Mark III, so when that car came out, I'm thinking, oh, we should get one of those, and a trailer, he said, and he was serious, so well done Suzuki, because that car was really cool, it had a fantastically curts back, and the angle of the third pillar in that car 
is part of the inspiration for the design of this car. There is elements of the Suzuki WizKid in this car. And that's just another cool thing about this car. It is very cool. Go and buy one if you want. If you want. There, buy something else if you want to buy something else. But if you think you want something small and utilitarian and really usable and cool and thrifty, let me tell you, I've done my calculations. I've got 47 miles to the gallon on the way up to Wales, and that includes some 40 miles driving around London in town. And I got 49 miles to the gallon driving from Powys up the marches to Sheffield and then Huddersfield on the motorway at top motorway cruising speed. It's great. Bless it for having a hybrid system which doesn't shout hybrid all over the place. You know, often when you drive a hybrid like a Prius, there's a big car display in the middle telling you where the energy is going from here to there. Oh, marvel at our technology. But this has got a tiny little window in the binnacle. And most of the time, you don't know what the hybrid system's doing. There's a tiny little indicator for a battery that comes on, showing that the battery's charging occasionally. Or if you want, you can turn on this little extra display, and it'll tell you, with very simple icons, power's going from the engine to the wheels, or from the wheels to the electric motor, electric motor to the wheels. And it just works, and it clearly works, because this car is so thrifty. It is not throwing away energy. It's harvesting it like it's supposed to. It also has the quickest, quietest stop-start system of any car I may have ever driven that doesn't pull away on electric power. And it's a shame it doesn't do that. I would like it if it did that. But if you depress the clutch when you've been sat at lights and it's there, bim, straight away. And other car manufacturers with bigger, heavier engines struggle to get their engines started quite as simply as this little device. So that works really well. There's an awful lot to love about this car. And do you remember earlier on I was talking about cute. I struggled with a lot of cute, like Nintendo. That element's a cute. That doesn't work for me. But what cars do we like? We like cool cars. And this car is cute and it's cool. So therefore, cute is one of the subdivisions of cool. You just got to do it right. Don't get it right. It ain't cute and it won't be cool. This is, like I said at the start of the show, arguably the cutest car I've seen in many years and yeah I've invested my heart in this little thing I do rather like it huge levels of praise from Jones here because you know it's easy to impress with 300 brake horsepower isn't it and something that looks like it shot out of a missile to impress with something that looks like a collection of Lego bricks and only has 83 brake horsepower that's a much harder achievement, and this car achieved a great deal. There you go, I'm happy. This has been Gareth Jones on speed, enjoying the Suzuki Ignis Hybrid four-wheel drive SZ5. And I was Gareth. See ya. To send us an email, see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter, or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. One last thing before I go, that video game that I was struggling to remember the name of earlier on was Gran Turismo Concept 2002 Tokyo Geneva. Gareth Jones on Speed!